Imagine you've been working for quite a few years and you've built up the money and now you're ready to go get you a new house. You're ready to go find a nice neighborhood with a good school. And so you start to do some research and you start to look for, hmm, what's a nice new place with more space um, that I can afford that'll be great. And so you find some great houses and some places and you're like, man, this is really great. I'm excited. And so you see them online, you're, you're looking, you're looking, um, and you find a couple. And it's just one neighborhood that's just right, and things are just so nice there. And so you decide to, like, let me drive there first before I call a realtor and do all these other things. I just want to kind of look at it and kind of get a feel for it. So you go there, you drive through the neighborhood, things are great. They're looking beautiful. Um, they're exactly what you expected. The house looks pristine and beautiful, and the land, and it's upkept and everything. You're just so excited about it. So from that point, you say, all right, my next step is, since I know what I want, let me go ahead and get pre-qualified. Let me go to the bank because obviously, you know, that's like part of the next step is getting pre-qualified to see how much will the bank loan me so that I can actually um, get the house that I really want to get. So as you go to the bank and um, you sit down with one of the the financial people and you say, hey, I'm looking at um, getting a new house. How much am I like qualified to get, you know, and everything? And you said, just based on information that I've done research on, I should be able to afford this in this neighborhood that I really would love to be in. And they look at you and they say, mm, no, you're not going to be able to get that interest rate for that one. We're not going to be able to give you that rate on uh, the loan. You're going to actually have to get this much higher one, and we're not going to be able to give you that much money. And so you're a little confused. And you're just like, but I have everything qualified to do this. I have good standings. I don't have any other issues or anything, good collateral and everything. Um, based on your type of person who you are, we really don't loan uh, money out like that to you at that rate. And you're not really able to live in that neighborhood. And so you're really perplexed, confused, and vexed why you're not able to actually, you know, afford the liberty of being able to go where you please. Well, this is what happened in America in the early 1900s. It is something called redlining. If anything, you understand that this is just not right. It's not fair for you to be discriminated against because of the color of your skin. So. We're going to get into that on this episode. Let's go. Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. So as you know, I'm on the series of systemic racism. It's a big deal to me, uh, once I've said on the three previous episodes, because as a black man in the Enneagram space, um, for me, it is important to do inner and outer work. Uh, personally, I think um, both of them are super crucial. You can't just do one and not do the other. Um, because it leaves you kind of lopsided. And as a black man who lives in America, I don't have the opportunity not to do outer work as well. That is part of what I teach uh, along with the Enneagram inner work as well. So this here, redlining, is what we're talking about in this one. Because what I want to do is I want to show not only a, a subjective um, truth about racism, which is you know, experiences of people they're giving it. And a lot of people, they can say, well, I don't experience life that way, so it must not be that way. Okay, sure. But I want to give objective truths. I want to give realistic, 
historical, factual-based information for people to see systemic racism and how it permeates through our country, not only in the past, but how it is the way we are now. So here we go. Redlining. What is redlining? So redlining is a process by which banks and other institutions refuse to offer mortgages or offer worse rates to customers in certain neighborhoods based on their racial and ethnic composition. Uh, it's one of the clearest ways to see institutionalized racism in the history of the United States. So here's some of the history behind redlining. 50 years after the abolishment of slavery, aka that was 1865. Remember, 1865 is a huge year. We're talking about the 13th Amendment was ratified, uh, which is basically saying that black people are, can no longer be um, slaves. <laughs> um, but then you also have the Black Code starting that exact year. Um, you have Juneteenth, you have Jim Crow laws, and you have the start of the Ku Klux Klan. So this is all happening in 1865, by the way. You have to be able to research. That was a crazy year in our history. So 50 years after that, local governments continue to legally enforce housing segregation through exclusionary zoning laws, city ordinances, uh, which kind of prohibited the sale of property to black people. In 1917, when the Supreme Court ruled these zoning laws unconstitutional, homeowners swiftly replaced them with racially restrictive covenants. So these were agreements between property owners that banned the sale of homes in a neighborhood to certain racial groups. So do you see what's happening here? Like, so the Supreme Court says, okay, it's unconstitutional to have these specific zoning laws, which was discrimination and segregation and stopping black people and anybody who was not white from getting into certain places. So then they said, okay, well, since that, the zoning laws are wrong, well, we'll do racially restrictive covenants um, with the people who own the land so they still don't have to sell to them. So they just maneuvered a different way, a systematic way of maneuvering and discriminating against people of minorities, black people, and people um, different uh, ethnicities. So by the time the Supreme Court found racially restrictive covenants themselves unconstitutional in 1947, the practice was so widespread that these agreements were difficult to kind of invalidate and almost impossible to reverse. And so according to um, the Understanding Fair Housing, a document that was created by the Commission on Civil Rights, a 1937 magazine article reported that 80% of neighborhoods in Chicago and Los Angeles carried racially restrictive covenants by 1940. And remember, these are some of the more uh, populated places with minorities and different people. So 80% of their neighborhoods were racially restrictive by co with covenants. So just let that sink in some. So the federal government, unfortunately, here we go, began redlining. So it, const it made it constitutionally right to redline. So 
Here's information on how the federal government helped begin redlining. The federal government was not involved in housing until 1934, when the Federal Housing Administration was created as part of the New Deal. Now, when I grew up and went to school and they talked about the New Deal and all the things that came with it, they made it seem like it was the greatest thing to ever hit um, America. I remember that. And as I've done my own research and dug in more and more, it actually was the worst thing for black people because it seemed like such a good thing. And there were some good things that came from it in one instance, but they all did it at the expense of black people not getting whatever the benefits of the New Deal actually were. That's the messed up part about it. All right. So the FHA, Federal Housing Authority, I mean, administration, sought to restore the housing market after the Great Depression by incentivizing home ownership and introducing the mortgage lending system, which we actually still use today. Instead of creating policies to make housing more equitable, however, the FHA did the opposite. It took advantage of racially restrictive covenants and insisted that the properties they insured use them. Wow. Along with the Homeowners Loan Coalition, HOLC, a federally funded program created to help homeowners refinance their mortgages, the FHA introduced redlining policies in over 200 American cities. That's what I'm telling you when we talk about systemic racism. Here it go, right there. Literally, this program, FHA, created by the New Deal from the president, actually introduced redlining into over 200 American cities. But you know good and well, these 200 cities were our top and most populated cities with most likely and definitely the most black people um, or people of minority culture would be there. So beginning in 1934, the HOLC included in the FHA underwriting handbook, residential security maps. You see how they frame and name stuff? You got to really pay attention. Residential security maps used to help the government decide which neighborhoods would make secure investments and which should be off limits for issuing mortgages. The maps were color coded according to these guidelines. Please Google this if you have not redlining maps. You will see literally how they color coded areas where you can actually give a mortgage to or people you shouldn't give a mortgage to or give a bad mortgage to or a loan, better yet. So you, you have to really look at these things. All right. So the first color was green. It meant the best. And the green areas represented in demand, up and coming neighborhoods where professional men lived. These neighborhoods were explicitly homo homogeneous, lacking a single foreigner or black person. Hmm. Wow. Literally, this is this is like word for word stuff. Like, I, it's not just like my thoughts. It's like word for word stuff. Um, then you had the next color, which was blue, which was still a desirable neighborhood. But these neighborhoods had reached their peak. But their thought was that they were stable due to a low risk of infiltration by non-white groups. This is systemic racism so clearly. It's, it's hard not to see how that's not. All right. Yellow which is the next color, was definitely declining. Most yellow areas bordered black neighborhoods. They were considered risky due to the threat of infiltration of foreign-born, black, or low-grade populations. Wow, really? Mm. And then you had red, which was hazardous. Red areas were neighborhoods where infiltration 
had already occurred. These neighborhoods, almost all of them populated by Black residents, were described by the HOLC as having an undesirable population and were ineligible for FHA backing. So these maps helped the government to decide which properties were eligible for FHA backing. And so if you know anything about the FHA now, the loans and different things and support that people get to have um, home ownership and to actually build some type of wealth and actually make something good for themselves and their families, these things weren't afforded or allowed to the black people who were able and who were working to actually try to achieve some of these things. Green and blue neighborhoods, which usually had majority white populations, were considered good investments. It was easy to get a loan in these areas. Yellow neighborhoods were considered risky and red areas. Um, those with the highest percentage of black residents uh, were ineligible for FHA backing. So that's kind of messed up. That's one of those things like if I'm here, I'm stuck. Like even if I work my butt off to get somewhere or to achieve at a higher level, I'm still stuck here because I live here because of the history of America. Right. I don't have a I don't have an opportunity to be born or work hard to get to a green or a blue uh, area. This is where I was born. At. And even though I work hard, I'm doing a really good job. I'm following all the laws and rules. I'm stuck here because I literally, because the systems would not allow me to move forward and to progress in life. That's super important. Something else is super important is to understand how housing uh, uh, apartments and like places where they have a lot of different like housing put together that originally came a lot from the New Deal because they these apartments were created to help people get on their feet to get to like nice neighborhoods. So they were really funded economically really well. So majority of the people who lived in big apartment complexes were actually white people at first because they were trying to help people get on their feet. And these places were funded and they were supposed to be able to help and to get people into housing being transitional. But here's the issue. It stopped being funded once white people started to move out of it. And black people started to be able to move into it to try to do the same thing, transition people from living in like apartment complexes that are like all centered together and then move them somewhere nice. But the funding stopped and you're stuck in this area where it's a lot of frustration, a lot of fear, a lot of anger. Not going to go too deep into that, but that's a, something else to look at as well. You have to look at why are areas in our country and in housing the way that they are. It's all because of systemic racism. It is backtracked. It's not like people just moved all of a sudden because like, oh, I like to be cluttered around a whole lot of people, you know, who are poor. You know, no, no one necessarily wants to do that per se. And so you have to look at the history of our country because it all is impacted by systemic racism, even in 2020. So the end of redlining. The Fair Housing Act of 1968, which explicitly prohibited racial discrimination. 1968, y'all, it took them this many years. Remember, part of this started like 50 years after 1865. Not until 1968 and do we finally get the Housing Act to say, oh, racial discrimination is bad in housing. You can't do that. Wow, really? So it put into legally sanctioned redlining policies uh, like those used by the FHA. However, like racial, like racially restrictive covenants, redlining policies were difficult to stamp out and have continued uh, even until recent years. A 2008 uh, paper about predatory lending, which is a kind of another way that they just did the same thing. For example, uh, they found that 
denial rates for loans to black people in Mississippi were way too disproportionate compared to the racial discrimination in their credit score history. And so basically what that's saying is that someone who is black was getting turned down for the same loan who a counterpart or equal person who was white with the exact same credit score actually did get approved for a loan. Uh, so so that was a big issue. And please don't think it's just Mississippi. That's This is all around America. Tons of places, um, unfortunately. And then there was an investigation by the U.S. Justice Department um, in um, the 2000s, like 2010 and on up, that found that uh, Wells Fargo had used similar policies to restrict loans to certain racial groups. The investigation began after a New York Times article exposed the company's openly racial biased lending practices. The Times reported that loan officers were referred, referred to black customers as mud people and the subprime loans they pushed on them with ghetto loans. And so there's actually a Netflix documentary about um, Wells Fargo and how messed up it is. Don't remember the name right now, but I definitely say Google and check it out because it's real messed up. And that's what I'm talking about. Like when we talk about systemic racism, we are talking about not just like, um, <laughs> we're talking about this is so built in, it's crazy. Because think about it. If you don't experience this, a lot of times you may not know like, oh, these people were denied a loan even though they had exact same credit score, you know, I do. Um, just because of the color of their skin. That's messed up. Really think about that. And it's still happening like to this day. Look at the look at the neighborhoods. Look at all the things they are. Why are they those ways? Why is it so much a group of people who are, have the same skin color and not just different people, you know, who are based in different parts of life and different decisions, the individuality, which I think people get stuck on in America, is that everything is based on individuality, which... That is not true for black people because of systemic racism. It, it doesn't allow for necessarily your great individuality to just help you make it through. Um, you need help. You need avenues. You need windows. If you hear of any successful, not any successful, but if you hear most successful black people who've made it through and made it really high up, they will tell you about like there's always someone somehow who really looked out for them who was usually just a really good white person, to be honest, who was like down to say, whatever they're doing right now is not right and I'm standing up. Um, and so I want to make sure I allow to help them because like, it's just not fair. Uh, it's not right um, the way things are. So redlining policies are not limited to mortgage lending. Um, I want you to understand that too, because we're talking about systemic racism. Remember, we, we talked about Jim Crow laws because that's still going on, right? You're still a second-class citizen in a caste system. We were talking about the black codes. You literally, like, we're trying to make sure we take your votes away, make sure you don't have dignity, make sure you're not the same as us. We're doing all these different things, right, to kind of create space between black and white people, chain gangs. Ku Klux Klan is still out there. They're still hanging people, by the way. Civil rights movement is actually going on during this redlining period. Um, and also during this period... Well, I'll leave that for another episode. But all these things are going on at the same time, okay? But there are systemic and systematic ways <laughs> that, unfortunately, powerful white people are trying to restrict uh, black people from being able to uh, have the liberties and freedoms that everyone should in this country. All right, so redlining practices, I mean, policies are not limited to just more uh, mortgage lending, like I said before. Other industries also use race as a factor in their decision-making policies, usually in ways that are ultimately hurt minorities. Uh, some grocery stores, for example, gas stations, they raise prices of certain products 
uh, in the stores located in primarily black and Latino neighborhoods. So here's the thing that always gets me too. It's kind of like, so the people who have the money to pay for the stuff end up getting the stuff for free. They have discounts or they have a black car. I mean, all ways to get stuff for free or discounted. But the people who don't have the money for it, they're charged even more for it. That is some messed up stuff. And like I said, it still happens today. It is still going on today. All right. So the continued impact of redlining. The impact of redlining goes beyond the individual families uh, who were de denied the loans based on racial composition of their neighborhoods. Many neighborhoods that were labeled yellow or red by the HOLC back in the 1930s are still underdeveloped and underserved compared to the neighborhoods that were considered green and blue neighborhoods, which were largely white populations. So let, think about this. If Black people weren't able to get into these nicer neighborhoods, quote unquote, nicer neighborhoods, a.k.a. economically better funded neighborhoods, better schools, better all these things. How in the world are black people through time supposed to actually be able to partake in things that are nicer in our culture? Right. You, Someone has to sacrifice real hard to break through, to barely make it, to be that one black family that gets looked at weird when they go to school, get looked at and get talked at in all kind of ways or, or slick things are said to them and have to endure that in order to maybe make it into this one place to feel like, oh, OK, I can finally move my family up and make it. But that's the issue. It's one out of many, one out of many black people who didn't have the opportunity necessarily to better themselves by partaking in some of the liberties and freedoms that America is offering. So that's what the struggle is for sure. So these, these areas, which were way back in the 1930s, yellow and red, in these same neighborhoods, there tends to be a lot of empty or lined with vacant buildings. They often lack basic services. They lack good banking. They lack good health care. Um, and they have fewer job opportunities and transportation options. The government may have put an end to redlining policies that it created in the 1930s, but it has yet to offer adequate resources to help neighborhoods recover from the damage that these policies have caused and continue to inflict. So when you think about this, this is this is really deep. Like this covers a multitude in such a large range of like some systemic racism, just not being able to live in a nicer place and get to uh, a better place. Yo, this is just it's facts. Google redlining and see what I mean. It's just pure facts. Unfortunately, it is what it is. And we have to call it what it is, call it out and then make sure that now we're moving forward and making sure that Places like Wells Fargo and these different banks and different places are not continuing um, systematic racism. And so that's a part of like choosing where you bank differently. What is that bank doing in the community or not doing or doing um, wrong? We have to be more aware of these things. That's why I'm, I have to check on the places I bank. It's a lot of different things I've had to adjust um, because it's like these people don't support like communities in need and or are taking advantage of communities in need. And I'm not okay with that. I don't care what community in need that they're trying to take advantage of or get over on. It's not right, period. So I don't stand for it. I really want you to check the things that you pay for, uh, the things that you have and you do, and make sure these places are like equitable, fair, uh, trying to do right by the citizens um, and different people. Because if they're not, then don't give them your money because that's basically you voting for them. When you give your money to these type of corporations and companies, you're basically voting for them. And sometimes it is a sacrifice because sometimes they have the best products out there. 
But I'd rather take that sacrifice than continue to perpetuate the same system that has us in this old messed up uh, way in 2020, which we should not be focused on racial injustice in this year, in this country. Oh, my goodness. But we are because we have yet to address these systemic issues, systemic racism in our society. So that's all I have for this episode. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, um, it's a rough time. If you do need help, I am connected with BetterHelp. And they are able to get like counseling service and therapy services over the phone and uh, over Zoom as well. And so if you're looking for that, I definitely have a link to that, a discount for that. Also, podcasting is not free. If you are um, a podcaster, it costs money. If you're a listener, it's free. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash do it for the gram. You can give from $1 up to however much you can to help keep this podcast going. I thank you so much. Um, I've had quite a few patrons um, lately and I'm just so appreciative of it. I'm trying to become better and better and give better and better content as well. I have a program coming up in January, which is the Kaizen Complete Enneagram program. I'm going to teach the Enneagram, um, 12 weeks straight, 36 hours of live coaching for me. And it's also kind of, if you've ever done an online like MBA course, um, like master's degree, basically what I'm doing is that I have a platform, Thinkific, that we're actually going to use while we're doing those 13 weeks. So there's work in between uh, each session while I'm teaching, but the beautiful part about it is that you do it in community and you're also doing something to help grow and transform yourself. So if you want to do that, check that out at kaizencareersacademy.thinkific.com and it'll be in the show notes because I know that's a long URL. Um, Besides that, if you are feeling some kind of way and your ego structure is about to flare up and about to make you do some things that are probably not best and beneficial for you and your community, take a deep breath, pause, and do it for the gram and make a better choice. And I'll see you on the next episode. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week. Um, Talk to you soon. Bye.